0: Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So, uh, check this out, and if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So, thanks again for listening. Um, here you go.
1: This is Weekly Comics Spotlight, number 537 for comics originally released on November 22nd, 2017. Now, starting us off in D.C. is Doomsday Clock number 1 of 12. This was pitched and teased as kind of the next big major kind of thing in the meta arc for DC. And, uh, you know me, Drew. I'm a diehard DC fan. So I was, I was really looking forward to this. And then I read it. This, uh, no, I'll, I'll be honest. The solicit warned me. It was, quote, you are not prepared for what lies ahead within these pages, good readers. That turned out to be very accurate. I was not prepared. Uh, this spent way too long on the Watchmen side of things for me. And, I was expecting, I was amped up for a a big DC thing, kind of like, you know, the, the DC, uh, universe rebirth special and whatnot. And after, you know, 26 pages of what may have well have been Watchmen number 13, we get a a four page backup essentially of, of Superman sleeping and having a, a nightmare slash flashback or something. And that was, that was about it. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked Watchmen. But I don't consider it to be the be-all, end-all of comics. There are a lot of things here that are, are hearkening heavy towards it, from the, the typeface of the title to the heavy but not ubiquitous use of a nine-panel grid. Hitch's, uh, or sorry, Gary Frank's art style uh, is the right art style for a Watchmen-esque feel. But this felt like a bait-and-switch. I was expecting a story focusing on the DC Universe and what's going on there and how the Watchmen stuff impacts it, not a Watchmen story that's teasing how the DC Universe may impact it. And that may seem like semantics, but it's like 26 pages versus four pages. To me, it's a huge difference. It wasn't bad, but it absolutely was not what I was expecting. And I don't really know where they're going with the Watchmen side of things, and I kind of don't really care. I didn't feel a burning need to read a, a "quote unquote" after Watchmen series. Granted, I read all the before Watchmen stuff. Um, so this, uh, I'm I'm really torn on this. What we got was a, a brilliantly drawn uh, story. The story was well executed for what it was. But I mean, maybe I would have been better off if I had just reread Watchmen. But frankly, I'm not that much of a Watchmen fan to to feel the need to go do that. And I wasn't expecting uh, a. Full plus, you know, issue of Watchmen. I was I was looking for you know Easter eggs. It's like when we did one of the uh, the Dark Knight Metal uh, lead ins, uh, forge or casting, whichever it was. And I'm like, ooh, look where they brought in you know these characters and this guy's back and all that kind of stuff. I, I was hoping for that, and and I didn't get it.
0: Hmm. I I don't remember the solicit that you mentioned. I don't know if I paid that much attention to it. Um, but when I saw the cover. Uh, and the poster in Mm -hmm. the window of Cowabunga comics, (laughs) actually, I, I was like, oh, that's, that's blatantly going to be a Watchmen sequel. And then I read the ash can, uh, that they released. It was like eight pages.
1: I did not read that.
0: Okay. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is just in the same tone and voice as the Watchmen. And, uh, then I really got excited because I am a Watchmen fan. I think Watchmen is one of the greatest comic stories ever told. And so it, for me, uh, for them to be able to capture that sense and sensibility of the original series, legendary series and and pick up in a way that that made me uh, feel like it, it really hadn't missed a beat and we were moving into some new cool territory with it. Um, I thought they did a really good job with that. Um, but I didn't have the expectations you had. I expected it to be in the world of the watchmen and um, that that was that was where we were going, and then we were going to pull in some other DC flavor as the series progressed. But I kind of knew from the Ashcan what this issue was going to be. All right, and so, and so I, I had my expectations set pretty spot on, and I thought it was really rewarded because I thought the art was was just pitch perfect. Um, the tone was pitch perfect, and the new Rorschach I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and some of the scenes were wonderful. The, the subversive takes on, on society was, was really good and, and prescient. And um, I, I dug a lot about this thing, and, and I'm excited
1: about where this thing goes. And I can see exactly where you're coming from. I think, again, you went in with the much better expectations than I did. I was looking for something that was going to build off of uh, DC Universe Rebirth, The Button, and... Um, you know, lonely place or lonely place of living, and and the Oz effect and stuff. Not Watchmen, but to your point, they captured the tone and the style of Watchmen exceedingly well. They had some fun characters here. The mime, I thought, was was great. It's just that's not the comic I thought I was going to be reading here, and that that's where the the kind of the dissonance set in for me. Of I what it's doing, I, I recognize the the skill, the craft, and the quality of it. But I was thinking this was a, a you know, a twelve-month a la Crisis on Infinite Earths DC event, and so far it's not. And maybe I'm just judging it for what I was expecting it to be versus what it is. But I feel that's kind of how they had pitched it and what they'd led us to believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't feel it was pitched that way. I mean, I think we. When we when we heard about this we the the timing was off because metal would would have been it was it's right in the middle of metal, which is kind of giving you some of those pieces of rebirth and uh, Easter eggs and and other characters and glimpses into some other things more more so. Um, now you know obviously Superman's going to play a role in this. Um, so that'll be I mean God maybe that'll be the inroad. I guess to, to DCU. Um, but yeah, I I, I was kind of hoping they wouldn't muddy the waters too much because we're still in the middle of metal. And so we've got to get to February to get through that. So I kind of hope they take their time with this and just lay the groundwork with, with the Watchmen characters and kind of bring, get the gang back together before they do any more of, uh, the dcu stuff I, I think they need to hold up and, and take it a little slower
1: i mean i can see where you're coming from and kind of i don't want to say rebuilding the watchman universe but making it current and relevant before a crossover makes sense but even if you look at the back with the the house ads they've got with uh the one of superman and dr midnight or with lex presumably facing off against uh maybe Osmandius, or batman reading rorschach's journal and uh, things of that sort, it heavily implies these two things totally crossing over and butting head-to-head. There's, there was a war coming, is what we've been led to believe.
0: And that's like in the next issue? Is that what the ad says? It's in the next issue? Well, it doesn't
1: say it's in the next issue. It's saying it's in the mm. series. Okay. At this point, the two universes have not even, in this story, touched.
0: Good. Because I hate that when they do that. But they're going and, to. Yeah, but but I want I want metal to be done, because otherwise it's not going to work. Otherwise, it's, they're they're not going to get their stories straight, and somebody's going to go off book, and it's not going to work right. It's not going to mesh well. But if maybe if somebody can finish their event, and then we can go into the next one, it makes a little more sense. You know how, how why they took so long before from rebirth to get to the button before we actually ever touched on anything again. You know, they they put some distance, I think, to get a plan together, and I and and I hope they don't convolute it too much.
1: I just just, haven't seen don't don't trust them.
0: I don't trust them to have five and six major things going on and everything working. It already
1: isn't. I don't think they've got that many major things going on. I I think they should have finished up uh, Metal before they started this. I I agree with that. I think they should have told probably A Lonely Place of Dying before they kicked off the Oz event. But because because of the timeline of stuff, that didn't work either. Uh, in terms of being able to to stagger the stories that way. And I think they should have started it a little sooner with the button kicking off earlier. Because it's only in uh, recent comics, like I think it was Action Comics of this week that ended the Oz effect. Where a few other things start to tie together. And do what I felt was set up for for what I thought this story was going to be. Of uh, Again, time has been stolen as far back as, as Rebirth. We know this. How does it play out in, again, what we got here from an execution point of view, I thought was, was awesome. It was great, but I was having a hard time connecting at it because I kept waiting for another shoe to drop that was nowhere to be found. The fact that Superman is, is in here for four pages doing really not much made this feel again, like, you know, Watchmen 13, not the first issue of what I had thought was a a pivotal DC event.
0: Well, watchman volume two, it doesn't feel like it's coming right on the heels of 12. I mean, it, it feels like there's some time has passed and, and, and I think there's, there's definitely some interesting stories to be told in that area. And again, I, I, I mean, I don't mind that they, they weave the overarching, um, mysteries of rebirth and, 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 and into this, but you know, they took so long to revisit it with the button. They took so long. And now it just seems like they're they're everything's coming out at once and it's not coming out well in a cohesive manner for me. And so I kind of hope they take their time and and get it right.
1: Well, but at the end of the button, this was what was teased as the next chapter. And there is no carryover from the button. And it's it's. What I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, is that... Well, I'm
0: shoehorning metal in there somewhere because it just seems like it's taking on the mantle of the DC event, driving everything forward.
1: It is a DC event, I'll grant that, but to me it's not furthering the story set up by DC Universe Rebirth. Is there's a
0: plastic man in there somewhere? Sure. Sure. He was kind of introduced and was a big deal in the button and people got excited about that. Was Plastic Man in the button? Uh, Was it the the button or the um,
1: Rebirth? It was uh, the Forger casting where he was brought back as part of Metal. And I'm not arguing that Metal is am saying? See what I'm saying? See how convoluted it is? My my point is, they started a storyline of time being stolen and missing pieces and stuff in Rebirth. They furthered it in the button. This was what they had teased as the next major storyline here, and it's not picking up any of those threads. Batman and Flash from the button are nowhere to be found here. We've got most of this, again, 26 out of 30 pages of what's happening in the the Watchmen universe after some length of time. And four pages of of what appears to be happening, whether it's in the same universe or a different world is unclear even. And if they had sprinkled in Easter eggs and stuff like that, yeah, I'd have been happy with that or whatever, but that's, that's not what they did. Maybe that's not what they set out to do. But I feel the way they had pitched it, or the way again, the way I felt it was pitched, and the way you felt it was pitched, are clearly very different.
0: Yes, I think we're on. Yeah, I think we're on opposite ends of the spectrum there.
1: Absolutely, uh, and it clearly it worked. But, and better I also for do you. not have
0: the luxury of, of maintaining a library of my previews, so mine is long gone from the solicit- solicitation cycle.
1: It's all up on the Diamond website. I've uh, actually got something that uh, when I when we decide what we're going to do for a future episode, I. Put down the item code. I've got some code that goes, looks at the item code, and pulls the solicit.
0: As exciting as that sounds, it is fascinating. fascinating. I am going to stick with uh, being excited after reading the ashcan, um, uh, and and then being encouraged by this first issue on on how well it it really matched the tone and the spirit of that last uh, Watchman volume. Um, That last Watchman volume, as if
1: there had been multiple.
0: I enjoyed the before Watchmen too, so I, yeah, I, I, I I think I think those were all really quality uh, comics as well. So I might be in the minority there, um, but yeah. So I, I I'm excited to see where this goes, and I, I had a lot of fun with this with this issue.
1: For me, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying about the quality of it, how it continued uh, respectfully on with the Watchmen stuff. Um, I just went in with with perhaps just wrong expectations and. Things that are very Watchmen-esque, like the the couple of New York Gazette pages at the the end or whatever. Just like those text pieces did nothing for me in Watchmen, they did nothing for me here. But again, it's in the tone and the style of that. So while I think it was executed exceedingly well, it didn't connect with me, and it wasn't what I was expecting and wanting it to be, and maybe that's on me. Um, I'm curious what other people are going to feel and think about this. Uh, for me, I'm going with a B- and I'm really torn on this because... I think it's some f- fabulous writing, some incredible art. And again, capturing the tone, the style, the feel of Watchmen and carrying that forward without feeling like derivative, or a knockoff. That's really hard to do. And they did do that well. Um, but having, again, set it up as to, well, what happened to the buttons continuing here? That's for me where they dropped the ball. So I'm going with a, like I said, a B minus on this. Um I don't think it's something that necessarily somebody should steer away from, unless they are pathological in the belief that uh, only Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons should ever touch the Watchmen characters. Because um, the storyline continues here. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, you get a lot, a lot for your money here. It's a it's a five dollar book, but it's uh, forty some pages, and it, it 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 felt meaty. A lot, a lot of the nine panel grids. You get a lot of content here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. Re- it's a really good introduction to, I think, what. Uh, some of the some of the characters are going to be um and i i gave it an a minus i really liked it and um it, it really kind of scratched the itch that i uh that started when i read the ashcan so I, re- I really enjoyed it
1: yeah clearly i should have read the ashcan i think that would have changed my opinion of this substantially it least. would have
0: changed your expectations i think um yeah um but yeah i don't i don't remember there being much in the button that about about this title so uh that maybe maybe if i had paid attention and seen whatever they did there, um, it might have changed, colored my, uh, my my expectations a little.
1: I thought it ended with uh, basically promoting that Doomsday Clock was coming out in December with the implication that's where that story continued. But I have to go double check. Shall we move on to our Marvel book? Yeah. This is Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows number 13. This is part one of Eight Years Later. And as one might guess, they've moved the story forward. Eight years. Well, actually, technically, the final page of the previous issue by the previous creative team jumped the forward uh, story forward eight years, um, and this issue just kind of picks up on the heels of that. Uh,
0: Which is kind of a bummer because that was Jerry Conway, and I thought it was really great. I thought he, I thought he had really had a great voice, and I thought and, it was
1: Ryan Stegman. Uh, who did that? Was it Stegman the whole time? Hmm. I, I'd have to double check.
0: I kind of. Th- of course, there's been a couple of volumes of Renew Your Vows, but I'm pretty sure Jerry Conway was involved in some of them. Um, and yeah, and, and it were kind of reminded me when you said eight, eight years later, because we had a, a Marvel event that was eight months later, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Nothing to do with this.
1: No, this... I was excited when they were going to move it eight years forward. I thought that was a smart move. I think it uh, would allow the character... Of, of spiderling to get to high school age which is just a more interesting time but then I should have it should have it should have but they've they've mined that ground extensively before in the MC2 universe where we had I May Day Parker. Like,
0: I actually felt like she was less mature in this than she was in the last volume where she was eight years younger
1: that's funny and that's that's probably a fair assessment too it's kind of sad though <laughs> um I will say there was a, a funny moment early on in the opening action sequence where uh, Spiderling has has been uh, surprised or hit or knocked out by or knocked around by one of the, the villains and Spider-Man's doing the Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? That's Which a good one. Yeah. I thought was hilarious. And I'll admit, it's a dated reference even now, much less eight years from whenever we were to wherever we are. Uh, referencing, you know, Smooth Criminal from, what, eighty seven. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But it's totally Spider-Man. It totally fits, even though it's a complete, you know, hey, you're giving away the, uh, the secret identity there, dude. Of course, it turns out just to be a danger room sequence. And to me, that was, that was part of the problem, is most of the action we got was here in this danger room sequence. We get three other scenes. Peter driving Annie to school, suggesting, hey, let's have a family day out. Peter and MJ planning said family day. And then the three of them winding up at Coney Island, which is not where Peter was telling Annie they might go. And they end with the lizard showing up. So, oh, we're going to have a fight to start the next issue with. And that was it. I felt there was not a whole lot of character progression of kind of resetting the status quo. I mean, there was some of it, but...
0: I mean, it it, it did not feel... Eight seconds later, uh, you know, after the previous volume, I, I I don't feel like Mary, Jane and Peter are any older in their marriage. Their relationship is the same or even it's even kind of taken a step back. I, I didn't think it, it had imp- had moved forward um, again. I don't think Spiderling and we've got to get a better name for her than Spiderling because that is awful. And they're um, talking about that in the book. <laughs> And I don't know, a little spider or something like that. I don't know. We need to we need something else. But and she she could have used that eight years for something. She just didn't seem to have a, a personality that was more interesting than what it was before. And and so I don't know what you went eight years forward
1: for. I, I think I know why. I think when they were trying to get the new creative team on board, they were like, well, geez, I don't know. You got this kid. You got Peter and Mary Jane. What else and, can I do
0: here? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like – and somebody may have suggested be be the editor of the writer. Hey, what if we move them, move them forward eight years? Then we can take a little time break from the previous run or pretty pre- – previous creative team and go that way or whatever and spider-man as a teenager worked. let's do spider ling as a teenager much like spider girl the mc2 universe worked as a teenager for a serious amount of time um but this this wasn't bad but the change of creative team with the jump forward eight years they kind of dropped the ball and it felt uh, to your point like it regressed a little bit versus progressed eight years and what we got wasn't bad, but I didn't feel there was much meat on the bone. And it was funny because the solicit asks what new threat has emerged to menace the wall crawlers. And I'm, I'm flipping through this and I'm like, I think the answer's none. Everything, we've got the, the, the equivalent of a Sinister Six in the training room. We've got the w- lizard at the end. Uh, nothing new, which disappointed me. Where I would like to see them go with this title is uh, I want to see Spider-Lang or whatever code name Annie goes by uh, in the future. I want to see her team up with Spider-Girl uh, from the MC2 universe and whatnot that we had seen in Spider-Verse and uh, maybe a few of the other Spider characters just to give uh, Spider-Lang a, a chance to be on her own for a little bit, to grow up a little bit, and to compare and contrast this effective Spider-Girl with that one.
0: Yeah, they, they need to do something. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be as drastic as maybe killing off, uh, Mary Jane and Peter or something, but, uh, this thing's not working as is and what they could it, do
1: is they could, they could like whack one of, uh, uh, Peter's legs like they did in the MC2 universe or what they could do. I mean, they, they've covered this sort of ground before. Yeah. They need to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't want them to kill off the couple because that's the real, the real was the real hook there. Was having them together and happily as a family—that was the fun part. So, I, I I just don't think the eight years worked, at least not in this first issue. And I, I hope they find something that captures the kind of magic. I mean, I'm going to go all the way back to the first volume because that was, I think, the it was it kind of peaked for me then. It was that was the best of of what this title had to offer, and it was a lot of fun and uh, it was some some new new angle. On, you know, a, a spider title that had been around for a long time in, in some form or fashion. So uh, I hope they can re- they can find their voice here. Uh, I'm not hopeful. And uh, I probably have a shorter, shorter lease. I definitely have a shorter lease than you do. Um, so I won't I won't be as patient. Uh, I'll give it another ti- another issue or two just because I've enjoyed the previous volumes so much. But, yeah, I just I thought this was kind of a misfire and I gave it a C minus.
1: I can understand that. Again, I kind of, I kind of liked what we got, but it was it was not strong. It was uh, I liked this setting and age group uh, we had here better than the previous run, but the previous run was stronger. But frankly, if you want something like this, uh, I would seriously consider checking out the MC2 universe with uh, that Spider Girl that ran for I'm thinking hundred issues or so. Uh, it was some some great stuff and thematically very similar to this, but well done.
0: Now that was the Mayday. That was Parker? Mayday Parker. Yeah. Okay.
1: She had a uh, younger brother, Benji. Uh, Peter had had aged, uh, whereas here he doesn't seem to really be any older than he ever was.
0: Yeah, and in a eight years of parenting, <laughs> it's gonna put some. I was gonna put at least a couple of wrinkles, maybe a gray hair in there. Uh, I, I I'm I'm surprised I didn't make him look a little older.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was disappointed in the other one in MC two. They went with the uh the the goatee and stuff of you know g- give him facial hair that'll age him.
0: That well, it's something.
1: It's either that or a little bit of gray. One of the two, you know, or both. Yeah,
0: gray temples and, and a goatee. I like it. So,
1: I I was hoping for more with this. Um, again, didn't think it was horrible, but unless you really feel the need to get every Spider-Man related title, I would be hard pressed to to. Give a justification as to why this would be even, uh, remotely a must read kind of a book, which is a shame. Yeah. yeah. Shall we move to our other book? Yes. This is Sword Quest number five from Dynamite Entertainment. This is part of the, uh, the Atari line of books they're doing. And I want to stress it's a line of books, not a narrative universe, because I think each one's pretty much in their own little world. I had read number four right. Kind of. What do you mean kind of?
0: Well, I mean, it's possible that future ones could also refer to because it was a lot about the the Atari universe and, and some of the actual things that happened in to the corporation and, and the video game industry. And it's possible that future titles could also cross that ground. And I think that would be fun and fertile ground to kind of explore Atari's history based on um, and, and have it around these stories, because I think this was a really unique way to 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 look at that that video game history.
1: I, I agree with all of that and my point was just that like Centipede which is a, a post-apocalyptic world or whatever maybe even yeah. another world or whatever.
0: Yeah, different entirely. Definitely.
1: Different. different entirely. That's that was my only point.
0: And there are only two so far, right?
1: Um I thought there might have been another one but I haven't been playing close enough attention this may just be the second.
0: No uh, no asteroids or space invaders or anything.
1: <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. <laughs> asteroids thing could be fun. Um Yeah.
0: Well, this one was a surprise. Uh, I'll tell you, um, because I I barely remember the game. Um, I didn't own it, didn't play it. I don't think. Um, but really, it it really kind of was a cool slice of Atari Mania. Um, a little bit of that, and uh, you know, kind of also with with your a little bit of sword and sorcery and stuff in there too, as well. I mean, I I thought I thought it was really a fun and a fun surprise because i i wasn't sure what i was going to get
1: I, I would agree with all of that i thought the story was good the, the art was good not great there are a couple of places no, it's like no. come on dynamite people, art open your eyes yeah. uh because the the eyes are always squintier, whatever in some places i mean the basic premise was kind of the sword quest game was along the lines of the last starfighter of you know finding the chosen one if you will it's it's a five issue series This is the ending chapter of it, so you're not going to jump in here and have any clue what's going on if you've missed the rest. Some questions are answered here. A couple others are raised. Uh, Exploring the history of of Atari as a company, I thought that was a really fun way to go. But while the miniseries concludes, it sets up more with these characters. and I kind of have mixed feelings about that because it's not like... I don't have any problem with them setting up more. Hey, this story is over, but we could tell more. This story ended with the story not feeling totally done and that they have have almost started that next story versus ending on kind of a, a end of a hero's journey sort of a note. And I'm expecting there to be a Sword Quest Volume 2 or whatever coming out in a couple of months or whatever. Yeah. And I enjoyed this enough that I'd certainly consider such a miniseries but it's not guaranteed to get on my pull list. It really comes down to what else is, is around at the time. And uh, does the pitch for that sound cool?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of hoping that it, that it doesn't. But yeah, it looks like there was enough of a, you know, there's further adventures to be had. I, I was kind of hoping they'd button it up a little more um, because I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to revisit this. I, I think this was enough and it was fun and, and uh, it, was, it was a good time, but I, I don't, I don't want them to drag this out and now let's go to the other realm for another arc or two.
1: I, I kind of agree. I think if they want to do some more stuff with Atari, I like the idea of an Asteroids series. Yeah. I mean, imagine you've got people that are, are miners in like the Asteroid Belt or something. And somebody decides, hey, we just need to clear some some debris or the station's in danger or whatever. And they go out in their little fighter craft and they shoot the asteroid and it blows to smaller ones. And now those are going and they realize, oh, crap, we've got a problem here. And the whole thing is them essentially playing the video game, if you will, of can we destroy all the asteroids before they destroy us?
0: But, be, but, it, but I think you have to recruit somebody who actually – to actually accomplish this goal, they had to be a, 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 an asteroids junkie um, when they were a kid and actually play the game. And you have to tie it back into the real world. Like like Sword Quest did and not go the Centipede route.
1: I think it could work either way, but you've got to have a really strong concept to take some of those games that were variants of point and shoot um, and turn them into something that's the equivalent of a story-based property like we get with games today. Yeah, yeah. And again, with Centipede, they had an interesting take on it, but it's also kind of anchored by the whole concept of Centipede has certain things about it, you know, visually or whatever. It's not that it can't work; it's that it's it's a challenge, and you got to have somebody on the writing side up to it that can ground it and give it that story it needs, but also somebody on the art side that can really sell it. And I think going here with the real world human geek almost quasi nostalgia aspect was what made this work.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm gonna I read all six of these, uh, the zero issue and, and the five regular issues um in quick succession so um, I'm, I'm i've got a, a read it more of as a big chunk but there mm-hmm. were some there were some low points uh, some of the issues were much stronger than others that would um, be great. and if we're, and if we're focusing on that fifth issue um uh, i don't i th- i think the first couple were the strongest issues in the in the whole run um but the the, the fifth was good um and it, and it did some fun stuff but um, not definitely not as strong as, as how this series started. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's enough here that um it would be fun for anyone anyone who owned an Atari. Uh, I think would get a kick out of this book. Uh, and and anyone who was like maybe a video game enthusiast might might actually enjoy it as well because of that angle. And it's got some fun stuff for for people that like sword and sorcery books as well, and some weird fantasy angles that um I, I thought I thought were kind of um uh, weak. In places, but but still, it, it has that that flavor for you.
1: Well, certainly, again, if you like that kind of the chosen one sort of story, yeah. it's just set in in the modern day and age. Um, and I think if you grew up in the age of Atari, ColecoVision, and those sorts of gaming consoles and stuff, the early days of video game home video games, eight uh,
0: bit, yeah,
1: you've got the the touch point for this. Whether you had those particular systems or not doesn't I think matter much. If, if you were around and you know interested in video games even, even casually because I think that kind of describes myself and I, I I thought this was fun It was it was a good backdrop in which to set a story and the sort of story they, they told, while not necessarily highly original, was well done and interesting. Um, it's the kind of thing though if this were turned into a movie, it's not a summer blockbuster.
0: No no I don't, I, it's probably a sci-fi
1: movie. Yeah, but it could still be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, it could also be one um, that almost has a Sharknado. It's, uh huh. You know, it yeah. depends what what take they took on the movie. Yeah, but definitely. To me, this was fun. I'm gonna go with a B minus on this. Um, I think it reads better uh, all at once than in installments. Um, because it's one story that's just serialized out.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and I think I think it comes out of the gate really strong including that zero issue, which I think is a lot of fun. Um, so I, I, I'd, I'd read that too. And hopefully that's collected in the trade. A I would assume it with everything else, but you never know. Um, a lot of good stuff here. I give it a B, uh, I like it. I would recommend it to, um, to a lot of folks, uh, for a lot of different reasons. So I, I think it's definitely worth a read. Yeah,
1: pretty much do it.
0: Oop, that's good.